Well, good morning uh, once again. Uh, we've, we've got a few minutes left together. Uh, we're going to be uh, taking the Lord's Supper here in just a few moments, but I, I really wanted just to open up God's Word, and uh, I don't think it's by chance or by accident. We've been walking through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, and so maybe you have not been here in a while, or uh, maybe this is your first time. There's a man by the name of Paul who his life was drastically changed by the gospel message, and so Paul is now a, a leader amongst many uh, Christ followers, and Paul had an opportunity to start this church in Corinth. And this church in Corinth, as many churches, and even as this church, many times we go through hard times as church and, and also as individuals, and they were seeking out wisdom on how to navigate some of these waters that they were going through. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church to kind of let them know that, hey, man, you've kind of got off course a little bit, kind of reignite their their life on on fire for Jesus, but he also comes to them in love and letting them know that some of the choices they have been making were wrong. And don't we love when people come to us and say, hey, man, maybe, maybe you should rethink that because maybe some of the decisions and maybe some of the choices that you have been making, you are feeling the effects of those, and that's the reason you're feeling the way that you do. So Paul is, is doing this in love, and he, and he comes to chapter 11, and, and he talks about the Lord's Supper specifically. And I know many times in my life, and maybe in your life, we do a lot of things out of repetition. Does anybody else do that? Maybe, maybe you get out of bed and you have the same routine every single day. All right? I, I do on Sunday mornings, all right? I get up at 6.30, all right? And, and, and I go and I get ready and I go through the drive-thru of McDonald's. They know who I am, all right? I get there about 6.45. I order a large coffee with 10 creams and a plain biscuit, all right? I have this thing. If I put me, I don't want my tummy to hurt, okay? Because I have the fear of like, you know what I'm talking about, on stage, okay? I do, all right? And so I'm very careful on Sunday mornings. And, and so I, I have this routine that I go through. I come here and I, I kind of go over my sermon once again and get a everything turned on, and and we all have those routines in our lives many times. And routines are are actually a good thing, and they're not always a bad thing, but sometimes they can bring us to a point of redundance. Many times routines and redundance, we, we lose our passion for what we're doing. And so Paul is speaking to the church of Corinth here because because they have lost somewhat their first love. They have lost their passion to follow after Jesus and they had settled for something less than what God had for them. And maybe this morning that's exactly where you are. You've settled for less, thinking that's all there is and God has immeasurably more than you can ever ask or imagine and His purpose for you is so much more than what you are experiencing right now. And so Paul comes to them, and, and as they're going through this, he, he presents to them the Lord's Supper. And many times, for some of us, we've taken the Lord's Supper maybe thousands of times. And, and we go through the motions of doing this. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to take just a few minutes, and we're going to open up God's Word, and we're going to be challenged, hopefully, once again, and be re- reunited and ignited to the things of God and remember exactly why we do what we do specifically as it pertains to the Lord's Supper. It's very interesting because the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, communion, the sacraments, many of us, depending on our upbringing of church, all specifically point to the exact same event as we will read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But the first time this takes place when Jesus is is gathering with His 12 disciples, it just happens to be taking place 
right after Palm Sunday. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He has been in the Mount of Olives. He journeys down about 17 miles. And he comes to Jerusalem and and there's a festival going on and it's called the Passover Festival. And it's very interesting because the Passover Festival is something that they celebrated every single year since the time in which God delivered the Egyptian, I'm sorry, the Jewish people from the Egyptians hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. And so it wasn't by chance that Jesus being the Passover lamb during that time comes into Jerusalem and there's a festival going on. Anybody like to go to parties at all? Nobody at all. There's one person who likes to party. Let's talk afterwards, okay? All right. Jerusalem was swelling with people. Thousands and thousands of people all came from surrounding areas to come and celebrate the Passover. And so as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, the people are celebrating and laying down palm trees where we get Palm Sunday. They're they're waving them, they're singing, and they're praising God. And it's interesting, in Luke chapter 19, it specifically says as Jesus was was riding through Jerusalem, it says that pretty much the procession stopped. Anybody been to a parade before? Think of a parade mentality, and all of a sudden it just stops, and all of a sudden Jesus starts weeping is what it says in Luke chapter 19. Now, I know many ladies in here, okay, you get excited, and 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 you're thrilled about things, and all of a sudden tears start running down your eyes, okay? But it's really out of tears of a joy of, of excitement, all right? It happens to guys too, okay? But during this time, Jesus starts weeping. And I can imagine the, 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 the celebration taking place and the confusion there. Like, why is Jesus crying in this moment? It's such a happy time. It's such a joyful time. But God's Word tells us that He was weeping over the lostness in Jerusalem. Let me ask you a question this morning. When is the last time your heart has been broken over the lostness around you? Or has your routine, or has my routine got us to the point where we have become numb and we have lost our passion for being used of God on an everyday basis? Jesus finds himself and he knows his purpose. Everyone around him is excited and they're not really sure what's going to get on. They're kind of excited, they're kind of fearful. But Jesus stops in that moment and he is he is crying because he knows that mankind doesn't get it and even today people don't understand the love that Jesus has and the love that he offers them. And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem a few days before this last supper takes place. Just a few days before he would die on Calvary. And in between those times, it says that he actually went to the temple and he got pretty upset because they had used the temple of God for things other than God. He continues to teach and to heal people, and it comes to the time where he kind of rallies the troop, those who are closest to him, the 12 disciples that we hear about a lot, Matthew, Mark, and many others. They gather together in the upper room, and this is kind of where this story is is taking place here. And Paul is is writing this to the Corinthian church because they had forgotten why they do what they do. They were doing things just out of 
because you're supposed to do that. Maybe this morning you're here at church because it's the right thing to do. I just want to check that box. Maybe you've been getting into God's Word just because I'm, I know I'm supposed to do that. Or maybe you say a prayer over your meal because I'm supposed to do that. And God says it's so much more than that. It's so much more. There's a relationship that He desires for us. There's an intimacy that He desires that we can be in relation to Him 24-7 and have that, have Him working actively in our lives in every situation in the good times and even the bad times and the sorrowful times. And so we'll be opening up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be in verse 23. I just threw 26 this morning. A very familiar verse that many of us know. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You see, many times throughout Scripture, Jesus used the analogy that uh, that He was the bread of life, that He was uh, was the living water. So as He uses the analogy that that I am the bread that's going to be broken before you, it wasn't some oddball situation there. They, they started to understand what Jesus was talking about. They started to understand that, yes, He was the one that brings fulfillment. The woman at the well, if you remember that story, Jesus meets her there and He has a conversation and, and she's literally drawing physical water there. And he's, He tells her, do you want a, a water that will satisfy you forever? Well, He obviously wasn't talking about, you know, maybe water with lemon, you know what I mean? He, he was talking of himself. He was talking that, you know, if you are looking for something that will satisfy you and you don't have to keep going back to to be refilled over and over again, if you're looking for something to give you purpose and meaning in your life, Jesus says, it's me. It's me. And so here Jesus uses the analogy that he is the bread the bread that is broken for, for you and I, and that he is, he is the cup, the blood that was sacrificed on Calvary. And so this morning I want to take just a few minutes, and I really want us to kind of dive into the message of the meal. All right? The message of the meal. Some of you are thinking like, yeah, the meal sounds fantastic right now. All right, where are we heading for lunch? The first point I want to make here, a message in the pain of his sacrifice. You see, Jesus was beaten. There's a time in Luke chapter 22, it says that they blindfolded Jesus and that they were beating him and they, and they were taunting him. And they were, as they were beating him, they were saying, Well, Jesus, why don't you prophesy? Like, like who's hitting you now? He was beaten. 
He was also whipped. Matthew Matthew 27 tells us that he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. It was a whip that literally had nine pieces of leather, about 18 to 24 inches long, and they had uh, pieces of glass attached to it. They had uh, different shards of things that would, that would, when it was whipped, it would literally not just, it wouldn't just hit you, but it would literally grab the skin and just, and just rip you apart. And so they, not only was he beaten, he was, he was whipped. He was spit upon. He was mocked. His beard was plucked out. He was stripped naked amongst all of those who were around him. Can you imagine the shame in that moment? And then as we know, he was nailed to the cross and he was crucified. You see, during that time, the cross was used for the most horrendous, the most horrific criminals. We know that Jesus was not there alone on Calvary. We know there was two other men, one on his left and one on his right. Both of these men were there because they deserved to be there. Jesus was broken for you and I on Calvary. And His purpose in coming was for that reason. His purpose for coming was for that reason. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this, You see, at just the right time, when we, speaking of us, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated His love for you and for us in this way while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus says, this is my body, which is given for you. Jesus says, this, what I'm about to go do, this, this is for you. If, 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 if you know the story, there's a time where Jesus is, is crying out to God the Father. See, because Jesus was, was fully God and he was fully human, so he understood the, the pain and the strife that you and I go through every single day. And he says, God, if there's any way, will you please take this cup from me? If there's, if there's any way... Will you please take this cup from me? But as Jesus walks in obedience to the Father, He goes and he, and, he, and he continues on to the road of Calvary because of His love for you and for me. And so many times, I've heard this story a million times. Anybody else? Over and over and over and over, I hear about how God loves me and I, and I hear about what He's done for me. But so many times in my life, I forget the significance of what Jesus went through. Because He loves you. Because He loves you. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. God loves you. God is in love with you. And His desire is to have a relationship with you. And He made a way 
to redeem us, to restore us, to reconcile us unto himself. God's word says that when you and I, when we're living in our sinful nature, it literally says that we are enemies of God. But Jesus made a way. This is my body which is given for you. It's a message in the pain of his sacrifice. It's also a message in the payment of his sacrifice. In verse 25, it says, In the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, Jesus had to die through the shedding of his blood. And the whole purpose of his death was to provide atonement for our sins. And that word atonement means nothing more than reconciliation or to make us in in right standing before God. You see, we understand punishment very well in our culture and our understanding. You know, you do something wrong, you, you pay the price for it. You go outside the laws, you go to jail. We, we, we understand that. But, but somewhere along the way, we've, we've presented a message that, you know, sin is okay. And, and, and we've watered it down to a point of, you know what? Ah, you know what? It, it's okay. But God is so clear. There must be a payment for our sins. Point blank. No way around it. You're not getting around it. I'm not getting around it. Someone in northern Columbia is not getting around it. All of humankind, there must be a payment for our sins. And we understand that. But many times when it comes to our spiritual life, we try to elude that. We try to act like it's not there. But here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Christ died for you. Christ made a way for you and I to be reconciled, to be made new, to be made whole, to be restored before God. John chapter 1, verse 21. John the Baptist, many of you know that name. He was one that came before Jesus. He kind of prepared the way for the Lord, so to speak. He was kind of the crazy guy who lived out in the jungle and ate locusts and all of these things. And his message was, prepare the way for the Lord because the kingdom of God is near. He's speaking of Jesus. And this is what he has to say about Jesus. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, Jesus said that what He was about to do on the cross was for you and for me. What He did was to forever satisfy the just demands of God for sin. He suffered the innocent for the guilty so that the guilty might go free. He literally took our place. There's a story about a little boy that I read a couple of days ago. His mom and his dad told him, I don't know what the boy's name, we're going to call him Johnny, all right? Hope nobody's name is Johnny in here, okay? 
Johnny, you got to come home early tonight. All right, you've been late. Tonight you got to be home on time. As you can imagine, Johnny was late, and he was later than ever. He comes in the door. Mama doesn't say anything at all. He sits down for dinner, and before him is a piece of bread and a cup of water. He looks over to his dad, and his dad's just got a full plate of pot roast and mashed potatoes and all kind of stuff. And nothing was said. He just looked at his dad's plate, and he, and he looks at his dad, and his dad just kind of lets it go for a little while, kind of lets it sink in just a little bit. And without saying anything, his dad takes his plate, moves it in front of his son, and his, he takes his son's plate and, again, doesn't say anything at all, and they finish dinner. Years afterwards, the son remembers that time and it was that moment that the father did something sacrificially for the son and in that moment he remembers that when his dad did that, it was the same love that God the Father did for you and I. That he substituted himself. He made a way. He did what you and I could not do and he sacrificed himself so that we would not have to. May we take the time to remember that this is a reminder of the blood that was shed to save us from the payment of our sin, which is eternal separation from Creator God in a real place called hell. Many churches and even pastors have tried to soften the blow of sin and have disregarded the punishment of sin. But the Bible is very clear on this matter and it is not one to be taken lightly. It's a message of pain and a sacrifice. It's a message of the payment of His sacrifice. And then lastly, it's a message in the promise of His sacrifice. Verse 26, it says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He returns. You see, there's a promise for those who are in Christ Jesus here. It says the promise of His resurrection. If Jesus is going to return, we know that He died on the cross, which we know that He has been risen from the dead. We know that we can serve a living God. So the promise is His resurrection. The promise is also His return. And the promise is also of a rehearsal. And here's what I mean by that. We all know that God has called His people to be witnesses to Him. However, we gather in this place and partake of the Lord's Supper as we're about to do, and we we have the opportunity to make a united corporate statement concerning our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, not only is the message for those who are in Christ, but the message is hope for those who have yet come into a relationship with Him. So maybe this morning... Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've just been wrestling with this whole God thing. Maybe it's been a joke to you for a long time. And maybe you're in a place where you know that God is speaking to you. You know there's something there. And you feel like God is calling you. And you feel like God has opened your heart. And you're, Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're fearful of, of letting go of that situation or, or whatever that thing is in your life. Maybe that's where you're at right now. You see, just like Jesus had to surrender His life, you and I have to do the same. God's word says that we must 
have faith in who Jesus is, but it has to go beyond that. Because the Bible says that even the demons believe in who God is, and it says that they shudder because they know of the goodness and the greatness and the power that, that invests in the things of God. And it says we must go past that. Not only must we believe, is we must repent. And that's a word that we don't like to use very often anymore. Let's be honest. Because you know what the word repent means? It means that you've done something wrong. I don't like being wrong. Anybody else? I, I don't. But God says we, we must understand who God is. We must understand the, that who Jesus is and what He has done for us and understand our standings before a holy God. And that God has made a way through Jesus on Calvary because He loves you. And He desires to have a relationship with you. And when we, it says, when we repent of our sins, it says that we turn the other way, that our lives are changed. We don't continue to do the same things that we've always done that brings destruction to our lives. It says literally that we are made new, that we turn and about face and we go the other way. How are we able to do that? Because the Spirit of God changes us from the inside out. Our thought process changes. Our heart changes. Our desires change. We want to become more like Jesus and less like the world. And I've got to be honest with you, there's no strength in me that desires those things, but it's the Spirit of God that draws us before God. I'm going to ask Jared to come back up. In just a second, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to take the Lord's Supper. Um, maybe this is just like brand new to you and you're wondering what we're about to do. <laughs> As it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's just something that we do as Christ followers, as a church. For those who are in Christ, there's so much significance in this. This is really the the root of who we are in Christ. That His body was given to us. It was broken for you. And the blood that was spilled on Calvary was given for atonement for you. For the things that I did. You see, Jesus in His perfection, He did not have to do it, but He did it because He loved us. God made a way. And we all have the opportunity. We all have the opportunity. I'm going to ask our Lord's Supper team if they would come. Paul speaks just after these verses in in chapter 11. And he's he's talking to the church. And he says, the things that you've been doing and the way that you've been doing things, you've been abusing the Lord's Supper. You see, many times we just do things and we don't think about why we're doing things. Paul says, I want to remind you the significance of why we take the Lord's Supper. And Paul goes on and he says, you know what? The Lord's Supper is for those who have an understanding of who Jesus is. They have given themselves before a holy God. Because here's the thing. If we are not in Christ Jesus, this is nothing more than eating Taco Bell. Let's be honest. There's no meaning whatsoever. 
And then Paul goes on a little further and he says, for those, are of, for those of us who are in Christ, and we know there's some things in our lives that we keep holding on to and that we don't want to let go, he goes, you know what? You need to let it go this time. He goes, you need to deal with that. Don't worry about the meal. And just just let it pass on by. Deal with what's in your heart because that's the desire that Jesus wants. This is nothing more than bread and grape juice. But the significance of what it means for those of us in Christ Jesus, as, as Paul says, do this in remembrance of what Christ has done for you.